One of the reasons Maria and I decided to do this podcast in the first place is because we're both in love with this idea of inquiry, right? With learning and shedding light on things that we've been wondering about for some time with having those aha moments. Hello, folks. It is Shara Carruthers here from Bliss Body and Soul. And Ayurveda has been one of those subjects that Maria has had some questions about for some time. Simple questions like, what are these doshas all about? All the way to more complex things like, how can Ayurveda be a tool for my yoga teaching? And so today's podcast is a juicy one because we dive into the goodness of Ayurveda at all levels. There were definitely some aha moments, which made it especially great for both of us. But ultimately, we figured out that Maria knows more about Ayurveda than she thought she did. And you probably do too. And I'm here with Shara Carruthers, and it's my turn to start it off because today I get to ask Shara all about Ayurveda. So I'm so excited to find out because I really know what you learn in your level one training for yoga, and I've kind of done that a few times, and I I want to know so much more. Mm. So that's really what I want to delve into. Yeah. And that's kind of where I want to start, awesome. which is, so what is it that you learn on a level one training? Like, what should we be learning? What is it? Are the doshas the thing? Is that what Ayurveda is all about? No. No. <laughs> okay. Well, where so do, what we do you begin? teach? What do you, what, so what do you, what would you, where would you start? Do you start with the dosha quiz? No, I think it's important for people to have a context for Ayurveda. Because Ayurveda is a vast, vast pool of information. Uh, It's, you know, it it translates to mean the science of life or science of living. And so anything you can imagine, you know, from our physiology to, you know, the way that we are in the world Mm. is kind of considered under the kind of the mantle of Ayurveda. And so in order for people to really kind of understand, like, how how does this apply to me and how how do I use it? They have to be given some context for what it's about. Give me some context. Really. So <laughs> first, in, just in terms of understanding, because you've got a yoga background, so that yeah. will help. Yeah. Just in terms of understanding how Ayurveda is sort of positioned relative to yoga. So if you think a little bit about yoga and and the potentially the ultimate goal of yoga, some say that yoga is really about the mind, not necessarily getting control of the mind, but kind of becoming free of the cage potentially of the mind and that's what all of these things are about you know the asana and pranayama they're all about eventually having that freedom that moksha that experience liberation that liberation that's right and we all know what that experience is that experience of kind of being captive to your mind we know we know what that's like and i think everybody's dying to have some freedom from Mm. it even if it's just a little bit so ayurveda which is often referred to as the sister science to yoga, is a focus on, if you imagine that your body is the vehicle for everything, for your expression in the world, for your seeking of freedom, Ayurveda is about maintaining the vehicle. Nice. It's about keeping the car on the road. But it's not all on the level of... Of sort of Anamaya Kosha. It's no. not all about physical. No. No. Okay. It, and that's the thing because mm-hmm. I know just as a teacher of yoga and as a practitioner of yoga that the idea that the mind and body are kind of one, and we talk about it being these five, you know, these five 
sheaths and whatever. Yeah. It's mo- it's it feels like it's mostly given lip service and that people don't understand what that actually means. And so as you start to study and understand understand more about Ayurveda, it calls you to expand your understanding of what things mean, expand your understanding of how you see yourself and the things that you do and the impact that they have on your mental experience or your physical experience or the the choices that you make. So I often say that Ayurveda is really like connecting the dots. So that's the context, I guess. Yes, that's the context. So what does all that mean? Yeah, exactly. That's what I keep going. What does it mean for me? Yes, (laughs) what does it mean? As a yoga teacher who wants to... Well, as a human being, but also as a yoga teacher who wants to, I guess, maybe try and integrate it. Do you have to know everything about Ayurveda to start using it is another thing. No. Do I have to go to Ayurveda school? No. Or can I I use it? Yeah. No, you do not have to know. where would you start? No. Okay. First, you do not have to know everything about Ayurveda. But if you're going to use it in a way that truly serves you as opposed to the way that it's being taught in the world today with lists and... Things like that. You really do have to understand how Ayurveda sees you and how Ayurveda sees the world. So Ayurveda sees each of us, not just as you. You're not just Maria. You're not just this physical being that's in front of me, this physical experience. You are a product of everything around you. You're a product of the sheets you slept under last night, the food that you ate yesterday or this morning you're a product of the environment the the weather that's Mm -hmm. around the season that you're currently in you're a product of every single thing around you and so all of those things come to bear in the choices that you make okay all of those things come to bear in um very holistic and and kind of like ot it's always looking at the person the environment and the task that they're doing you know it's everything anyway keep going exactly and so if you think if you keep coming back to the ultimate goal is being keeping the vehicle you know Mm -hmm. keeping the car on the road you can't just think about what you're put the gas that you're putting in it Uh, you can't just think about the state of the engine like you have to think about all of the different things And so Ayurveda provides us with a little bit of guidance about what are the things I have to think about? What do I have to care about? And then it also provides us with some guidance about why I need to care about these things. And perhaps even most importantly is it has us understand that we are each completely individual. We kind of live in this world where when you think about health, when you think about the health of your body mind, we'll just call it that, there's a there's this sort of set of information that everyone's given related to how to eat, what, you know, how much to eat, what to eat. And it's kind of one size fits all. And so we're constantly running this race of trying to fit the information that we're given about how to maintain our health and wellness to whoever we are. And it's the latest in the New York Times article, you know, totally. This is good for you. This isn't. This butter's good. Butter's not good. Forget that. Yeah. Yeah. Do this exercise. Don't do that. Stay away from this. Have a paleo diet. Do this. Yeah. And so what Ayurveda really wants us to understand is that we are all each completely individual. And that means that we each have a responsibility of doing the work to find what works for us. Hmm. And not that only that, so like what we were talking totally, about that's yeah, why I'm like, oh my it. gosh, you know this already. Right. Doing the work to find what works for us, but yeah. also not only that, but understanding who we are in any given moment, how the person I am, you know, sitting in the hospital with my sick parent is different to the person that I am standing, waiting to go on stage and sure. give a talk or putting my child to sleep 
or, you know, after I've just come from the gym or whatever it is. And so staying tuned into those things and making every choice, every single choice you make to, to support and to nourish that person. Okay, that's cool. So, yeah, you ha- yeah we haven't gone doshas yet. No. So what are, I guess, some of the questions or some of the guidelines or what are you thinking of first? Are you... So, okay, so what I what I think everybody really wants to un- or really should understand is have, how do we figure this out? Yeah. How do I understand, like, what's right for me at any given time? Or how do I... How do I, you know, how do I know what's healthy if you're telling me that the stuff I'm hearing outside of me isn't re- isn't necessarily the answer? Or it might not be mine. Yeah, right. Well, right. the way that we know that is by understanding who we are and understanding the impacts of the things that I do on me. Okay. Right? So as kids, we knew, we learned some one way or another, we learned that if I touch a hot stove, it's going to have a not so great impact on sure. me. It's going to burn me. Um, we learned that if I took a nice, if I had something that was hot, if I burned myself, I could take a piece of ice, something cold, and I could rub that on the burn and that would actually make it feel better. Mm-hmm. And so we have this inherent understanding of how certain qualities impact certain other qualities, right? Okay. Of how hot, yes, it's of sort how of the cold. the wisdom you come with. Exactly. That often people just throw out yep. thinking that they don't know it. Exactly. Yeah. Thinking that it's... It's just something we don't think we about. It's a do subtle know a lot layer. About the world and ourselves. Exactly. Yeah. Yeah. We don't think we speak the language, and so I often say Ayurveda is like a language. It's like a way of having us see the world around us, not for our interpretation of what it is, mm-hmm. but for what it actually is. And by that I mean by the qualities of it. So if you think about the qualities of a hammer, if you just think about a hammer, sure. right? If you erase from your mind what you know the hammer is for. You think you might think of something that is hard. You might maybe, think of something yeah. that's heavy. That's mm, maybe, maybe cold. It's maybe cold exactly. Yeah. And so, if you just think hard, heavy, cold, you can begin to think about potential problems that that thing can solve. Right. Right. If you need what something, you need that's, something yeah. hard, heavy, and cold. If you need something for. that's hard and heavy and cold. Then you think, right? Okay. Well, what could I use for that? And so, if you imagine that this mm. was just the way that people, you know, before life got super, super complicated, right. this was the way we unraveled the world. This yeah. is the way that we worked out how mm. that those herbs could actually impact me. Mm. We t- we smelled it's them. Bitter, we had a sense yeah, exactly. We might have tasted it, and we might have tasted something that was a bit pe- peppery, yeah. or it might have given it, given us a cool experience. Ooh, nice. And so you can look at the world with Ayurvedic glasses. Mm. What that means is looking at everything around you for the qualities. Ooh, of I love it. that. And Ooh, within so Ayurveda, <laughs> within Ayurveda, <laughs> we have the Ayurveda defines just twenty qualities, and there's there's others because we don't. It's just it's a universal well, it's language, good, I know, obviously, but it's good and it's limited. Exactly. Um, so and those qualities are really few, used. So those qualities hot. are really used to to diagnose things and to try to help. So there's twenty, but I like to think about six because the okay. six are the ones to me that make the most sense to us. And this to, is where we me. don't want lists, but I like no, six so, instead of twenty. And they're easy: hot, mm-hmm. cold, mm-hmm. light, heavy, mm-hmm. wet, or oily, and dry. That's okay. It. Those six. Okay. Those six. So right now, as you're sitting here. Can you tell me, using three of those words, how you feel? Cool, dark, and dry. Dark? You mean heavy or light? Oh, whoops. Light or he- he- light heavy, and heavy. heavy. I went yeah. light, dark, heavy. Yeah. Oh, no, I don't feel heavy. Remember, these are on opposite sides of the spectrum. You might notice yeah, they're yeah, hot yeah, and then yeah, there's no, cold. Heavy. I don't feel heavy, Yeah, I, but I feel cool, light, and dry. 
Okay. Sometimes because I've ruled out what the other ones are. Yeah. Do you know, I don't but feel that. So you I'm have to. Sit, yeah. You have. You, most likely, we're on some yeah. spectrum between but the it's, two. But it's such an interesting process to do that. Yeah, and it's important because when you think about hot and cold, those are opposite sides of a spectrum. That's right. And hot is an extreme. And cold is an extreme. You yeah. think about that. You, you've had yeah. that experience. Of I certainly have. Sure. You're uncomfortably hot and you're uncomfortably cold. And so what we're looking to do is find some middle ground that means, like we talked about with the Donafari thing, that means that I feel okay. I feel yeah. stira and sukum. Like I yeah. feel that lovely combo. Yeah. Not too Just hot, right. not too cold. Yeah. And so the Ayurvedic view mm. is that we find the middle ground, the mm. middle moderation in all things. Because that keeps us off those edges. Yep. Right? That keeps us off those edges. So, Well, moderation sounds moralistic, but I like that idea of comfy and uh, yeah. Yeah, sweet and balanced. Exactly. Nice. We, have all our, mm. we have all the words that mean something to us. Yeah. So if you have an understanding or if you're looking outside of you and you can start to experience the world in these six, just these six simple terms... It's a hot day, it's a cold day, or maybe it's somewhere in between. It's a heavy day. You can look at the food that you eat. You can look at all of those things. That starts to give you a sense for what you're working with. Okay, right? so this is that now I'm now I want to talk about doshas. Though, yes, now, is now it's time it's to talk like, about uh-huh. doshas. Now it's time to talk about doshas. Yeah. So in the same way that you know that you put your, your coolish maybe finger on yeah. something really hot, yeah. it's you interacting with the world and creating an experience. That's right. And that's what we're constantly doing. You know, whether we think about it or not, we're constantly interacting with the world and creating our experience. And so understanding our own inherent qualities gives us an, a great understanding of how we're going to interact with the, with the world, world around us and what the what the result is going to be. That's right. What will bring us the sweetness or, or excesses of in one direction or the other. Exactly. Ooh, so okay. you, because you know, if say your inherent quality is cold, right? Mm-hmm. And you come into contact with something that's cold, you're going to end up on that extreme end of That's cold. Right. I don't want that. And that could be all kinds of things. In Ayurveda, that could be, you know, anxiety. That could be a lot of different things. It could right. be just that feeling of cold hands and feet. It could be just a level of discomfort that might turn into something. Well, also an, an excessive use of energy, yeah. I think, to try stress. to balance. Yeah, exactly. So stress. That's what I call it. I just call it yeah, stress. stress. Anything that's, you know, that's yeah. not in that beautiful, comfy, juicy, lovely place yeah. Yeah. is stress for your mm-hmm. mind and for your body. So if you understand your own inherent qualities and you understand the qualities of the world around you, great. This is where the doshas come in. So the doshas are really considered energies. They're the energies, I call them the energies that run our show. But what's important for us to understand, for this conversation at least, is that the doshas have qualities and those qualities kind of define us. So vata, which you've you've heard of all these qualities, or you've heard of all these doshas, vata, which is the energy of movement, its qualities are cold, light, dry, <laughs> rough. See, now you start, oh, the pink, yes, the things are starting to come together now. Cold, cold light, dry, light, dry rough, yeah. subtle, clear. These are, the, these are the qualities of Vata. Pitta is hot, sharp, intense. It can mm-hmm. be light, a little bit oily. Pitta is the energy of transformation. Mm-hmm. And Kapha is the energy of structure and cohesion. Kapha is slow, dense, cold, damp or wet, slow moving, 
dull and there's more that just gives you a sense yeah these energies interact together if you think about vata being the energy of movement and i always like to think of these things in the mind and body as an intelligence like we don't know what tells the subatomic particles in every single cell and every single you know every single atom we don't know what is it that tells it to behave in the way it does Mm. we don't know that if there's some so we have to assume that there's some in, some intelligence that says, electron, this is what you do. Yeah. You know, proton, this is how you are. Yeah. And so vata, pitta, and kapha, in my mind, are similar in that. They're an intelligence that lives within the mind and the body that directs things in the mind and body to behave in a certain way. Okay. So nice. vata is the energy of movement, directs movement. The things that move, blood, breath. Um, oh, I see. Okay. It directs, systems. it's that intelligence that says, here, let's go, let's move, let's do this. And so yeah. if you can expand your thinking beyond the physical to the mental and emotional, and you think about, if I just take something like movement and think about how that looks away from the physical, you think of like vivacious personality or a person who wants to go places and move and do things. Or you might even <laughs> See, think, I think of somebody sort who... of my own ADHD and my yeah. fact that I can, can't think of one thing at a time. Yeah, so exactly. It's like a bird going from thing to thing. So exactly. yes, it might be quick, but it also may not have focus. Yes. Well, yes, exactly. Right. And so you, when you think about that movement, you might think of somebody who's also just moving a lot. Yeah, you know, they kinetic. can't stay yeah. still. When you think about pitta, this this energy of transformation and metabolization, mm-hmm. every single aspect of our physical being that requires or that includes transforming something, and every single cell has that. Every mm-hmm. single cell has a metabolism or has some, it's, 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 digesting and creating um, energy, converting, yes, exactly, fuel, things to fuel. So that's happening in every cell. But then you've also got to think about our digestive system. That's that's a kind of larger level that we're digesting things. And then you even expand it out further to think about the way that we have to digest and process things that we come into contact with, you know, the information that we get. We've got to think about what is mm. what exactly does that mean? Or perhaps the interactions that we have with people. You know, somebody says something that doesn't sit right with you or doesn't feel good for you. Mm. You can hold on to it and just, you know, let it stick with you like a nice heavy piece of meat in your gut. Or you can you can process it through some mechanism that you have, a me- mental emotional mechanism that you have for processing things, mm. and let parts of it go and parts of it stick with you and stay. Right. So that's what pitta is about, mm-hmm. and then kapha is that structure and cohesion. And so you think about all of the structures in your body, everything, this, the way that that certain cells come stick together to form the walls of right. your organs. There's an intelligence that says, you guys, we're going to do yeah. this. Right. Um, and you can see the way that that works in your mental and emotional experience too. You have, you can become attached to certain things. You can hold, you want to mm-hmm. hold things together or hold things up. Or there may even be a heaviness to some way that you are in the world or the, mm-hmm. way, the way that you experience the world. And so you can take these energies and you can see how they manifest themselves physically and how they manifest themselves mentally and emotionally. Right. And then you can break them down further, as we did, and talk about what their individual qualities are. Yeah. So when you know your dosha... And which is which is its own special quality of all those qualities. Exactly. Like own special Just some combination. combination. Yeah. So for some people, they may be a lot more kapha. 
they have may have a lot more kapha energy just coursing through their body, which means their mind body, mm. which can mean that it, their physicality looks a certain way. Yeah. It may look a lot more sturdy and strong, mm. a lot more solid, or and or their mental and emotional experience may be a lot more grounded. Yeah, I think of grounded, juicy people. Yeah, exactly. And I don't think of them as like ropey, kind no. of dry. No, you think there's a moistness yeah. in there. And there's the kind some... of mothers that can just relax and breastfeed exactly. and not get too anxious. That's right. There's a calm, yeah. there's a slowness yeah. in the thinking yeah. and the reaction. And a steadiness. And a, yeah. Exactly. That's all mm, kapha. Nice. And so if that person is expressing, if kapha is expressing itself in that way, um, in that so um, very clear and once the word comes to me is big, if kapha yeah. is big yeah. in your life, in your mind, your body, then we might say that your dosha, your primary dosha is kapha. Yeah. And so that's the same for all of them, pitta, yeah. vata, all of them. So we all have mm-hmm. some primary, either a single primary dosha mm-hmm. or some combination of two. Maybe your body is very lanky, but you're a very focused person. So maybe you've, you know, physically you've got this vata expression but mentally and emotionally, you may have some other type of expression. And that's when, because people often say, oh, can I have two doshas? Yes. But what's most important not isn't necessarily knowing, you know, oh, this is my dosha. I'm this, yeah, because yeah. It, it starts to become like a horoscope. Exactly. And, I, and then it becomes this oversimplified thing. Yes. And I find myself doing that to myself and to other people. Yeah. Oh, well, I'm this and... Because that's what we want to do, isn't well, it? it's so simple. We, we want to simplify things. Have to think. Can we bypass thinking? Exactly. Yeah. Yeah. So what's most, what's more important than knowing your dosha or owning that, you know, I am this, yeah. is knowing how your doshas, because we have all of these doshas of interacting within us, is knowing how your doshas express themselves. So if you're, you might, I might know that my vada expresses itself as wanderlust, as a, mm-hmm. somebody who is interested in a lot of different things, likes variability, likes change. It might yeah. manifest itself physically as cold hands and feet or as a dryness in the body or in, you know, perhaps even in the mind too. Mm-hmm. Um, sure. So, and my pitta expresses itself as, I can be a bit, I can be a little focused at times. I can get angry at times or I can have a tendency to lose patience. I can, I can seek intensity. Mm-hmm. And so it's really about understanding how our doshas are naturally in your best expression of you. How does your dosha, how are your doshas expressing themselves? Mm-hmm. How do they look? And then also understanding how they look when they're completely out of whack. So when you're yelling at your kids or when you're yeah. so spun out that you can't, you know, you don't know which way is up or you're you constantly awful. anxious, exactly, yeah. or you're constipated mm-hmm. um, or your digestion feels like crap or you're burning through stuff so quickly that you can't eat enough mm. or you're wanting to sit on the sofa all day and do nothing or whatever. So our doshas serve us in that they give us an understanding of ourselves. They have us understand what our light looks like and what in, in a healthy state. And so what interesting. Are. It's like I want a week to come back and then have the same conversation, having observed that. I mean, I can't wait to now go and... And start looking at the world in this kind way. Kind of. Yeah, put those glasses on. Yep. Because it's interesting. And then see it play out. Yeah. Play out in all the avenues of life. Totally. Fascinating. So... So you, so this is these doshas are really just there. Your dosha, your yeah. prakriti, the word that we use to dis- define your dosha, your true nature, your special combo. Yeah, your mm-hmm. special combo. That is there to give you 
just the beginnings of an understanding of who you are and who you can be at your best and at your worst. And that, my understanding is that evolves over time. So, no, no, it doesn't. Because okay. I always, people always said, oh, kids are more kapha yeah. and old people are more vata. And yeah. you say no. No. So, so good, because I don't want to be just like a vata old lady. No. I want to I keep some of that. So, yeah. so, okay, so I'll explain that a little bit. So okay. that there's the idea that your, your dosha, your prakriti is set at conception. Mm-hmm. Yeah, okay. set at conception. And remember how I said who you are is not just you. It's a, it's a relationship right. between you and what goes on around you. So at certain, so once you come out of the womb, certain of your doshas are going to be expressing themselves more than certain others because certain right others, away. yeah, because certain others are um, just p- potentially playing a role that's a little bit different or that's, that's needed in a different way. So this is where we get this idea that, you know, you're more kapha. You, we've got the kapha stage of life, the pitta stage of life, and the vata stage of life. And if you think about the way that we grow and age as we get, as we move through our lives, as we're, when we're younger, when we're babies to perhaps adolescence, it's a time when for most people, and these are all generalizations, there's a softness to us. There's a mm. kind of a mushiness to at, to our character we're growing we're we're slowly building ourselves and so that's why we call that the kapha stage of life right. oh, okay we can so also it's just that you're expressing more the, kapha exactly yeah. your doshas are expressing themselves more certain doshas are expressing themselves more and, and it's because that's what the mind body that's what the job of the mind body is at that time right. And so everybody's going to kind of have a different, potentially as, a different... As they do. Yeah. Every child is different. Exactly. Yeah. And so that's why they call that the kapha stage. And then as you move into, as you become that householder, you leave the home, yeah. you you become responsible for other things besides yourself, potentially in the world. You get busy. Um, yeah. You get busy. You start making stuff. You start mm-hmm. transforming things. You need a little bit of heat under, you need a little bit of a fire under your ass to kind of, you know, to, to have you out there seeking the things that you are you know mm. that you're here to to be to create to to make happen in the world yeah and so that's why we call that your pitta stage of life and the degree to which your pitta is kicked up you know is is expressing itself will depend on who you are as a person if yeah. you're a person who's a mainly a kapha person with a little bit of pitta mm-hmm. in your pitta stage you may not be the person who's dying to be president president no you know or the person who's dying to be you know a traitor on wall street you may just be the person who's like, I'm going to go out there and do my thing. So so the pitta stage is that kind of middle stage. And they typically say that's anywhere from 17 or 18, perhaps to 50s, mm-hmm. 60s. And then as you move in, as you get a little bit older, you, st- you start to... I like to think of it as you get... Is this going to be good? (laughs) Exactly, because I'm sitting here going... Yes, no, there's good things about all of these. (laughs) I like to think of it as you let go of some of your need for for and this happens to everyone in their lives it just maybe at different stages you let go of some of your need to have things be a certain way mm-hmm. you start becoming a lot more tuned into the subtleties of life like the beauty of the subtle aspects of life as opposed to just driving yourself so sure. hard all the time and then also we vada is associated if you think about movement right it's associated with where yeah so as we move as there's a lot of movement going on in our lives, mm. as we move our bodies, our joints over and over and over mm. again, 
um, they start to wear down. Mm-hmm. And so vata is associated with it, with kind of breaking things down. It's got that that catabolic quality, like it breaks things down. Mm-hmm. And so we start to dry out and we start to experience our vata stage of life where it yeah. kind of starts to, to play up. And we can have tendencies towards vata imbalances as we get to, into that mm-hmm. stage in the same way that we can have tendencies towards pitta imbalances when we're in our pitta stage and kapha imbalances when we're in our kapha stage. Because well, you do see that sort of um, well, you can see that anxious older person. You can see the depressed older person exactly. too. Exactly. So. Yeah. Cool. Exactly. And so, and so, what we have to do is we have to understand what is happening in the world around us. Because what's going on in the world around us? Everything from your home to your city to you know whatever your workplace, etc. That in some ways defines who we can be. Right. Because it's all about the interactions. Yeah. Yeah, but the thing is, we do have, um, and I don't like to use the word control so much, but we do have influence. Yeah, I was going to say, because it isn't just, it's not just a thing that happens. No, it isn't just, well, I'm in a cold place, I guess I'm going to be cold and I'm going to have so to deal with whatever. So abil- what is our influence or what is our power? Our power, thank you for if you're asking that, our power is understanding a couple of things. One, it's understanding who we are. Two, it's understanding what does the world outside me look like and what impact does it have on me? So the example that I often use is having grown up in California, Southern California, weather is always great. I have an, I'm a vata pitta, so I have an inherent, my qualities are cold. I've got a coldness to me. My hands are cold right mm-hmm. now as we speak. Um, there's a lightness to me. I love movement and whatever. And But I'm also a person who can get, who can be quite fixed or quite focused on things. I like, I do like planning things. Mm-hmm. Etc. And so you get a sense for how those qualities kind of show up in me. Growing up in a place like Southern California, where the weather was always wonderful, not too hot, not too cold, yeah. I, I was living my best life. You know, that yeah. was like a perfect environment for, if we're just talking about environment, that was a perfect environment for me as an individual. And so then I moved. I moved to another place. And I moved to a place where the weather was not like that. It was cold. And... I started experiencing all kinds of things, yeah. physical ish, physical problems, you know, issues with digestion, um, you know, issues with pain in my mm-hmm. hands and feet, anxiety, and I had no understanding of what this was about. Yeah, because well, no you think clue. it's you. Yeah, you think, oh, you know, what's wrong with me? You right. think, well, everything seems okay. I'm not sure why I'm suffering so much. So when you realized it. Went, well, I, it took me a while to realize it, yeah. really. But when I realized it, it meant that I realized that the inherent cold, being in a cold place, wasn't working well with my own cold. It was it was pushing me over to the extreme end. Yeah. So what could I do? Well, I could mitigate the cold outside by having food that was warm. Yeah. Soup. So, yeah, <laughs> soup. Or right, spices that are, that are going to sure. warm me from the inside. Or even better... Putting on some socks. Yeah, put some warm clothes yeah, on. Yeah, put some warm clothes on or, you know, put sure. a sweater on that works for me. Or, or I never... Move a bit. Exactly. Yeah. Move around. Create some heat to offset the cold mm. from mm. the outside. And that's our choice. And that is where our power really lies. And, and that's what Ayurveda wants us to understand. Is we, in our sort of intelligent response. Exactly. Yeah. Because it's from that awareness of what's happening outside and the qualities of it and how it's impacting me. And our and my awareness of who I am and how I'm likely to interact with the heat or this tension or whatever, what my inherent tendencies are in that environment, mm-hmm. 
I immediately have the awareness to make a choice. Do I want to be imbalanced and deal with that? Because sometimes that's the choice people make. Or do I want to take a step and eat the right food or move in the right way or wear the right clothes or even take myself out of this environment? Exactly. Move, go on holiday, do whatever I need to do so that I can be my best self. Now, is this something that you're sort of cortically thinking? Like with your cortex, you're like, okay, rationally or... Can you kind of drop below and trust in some instinct? I mean, do you think everybody has that sense of it if we're in tune with ourselves? Yes and no. So a lot of times what people tell me when they start to study Ayurveda is they're like, this is so intuitive. This is so practical. And yes, there are things like, I'm cold. I'm going to put on a sweater. Or I don't feel so good today. I'm going to, you know, have some food that's going to be a little bit easier on me. So... These kinds of things are intuitive. We just, it's part of our survival in- instinct to, you know, to make some of these choices to, to cool ourselves down when we're too hot. Mm. But there are other things like that example for me where I was taken out of an environment that I was used to and I didn't really have a sense. I didn't have, so there are times when our mind overrides yeah. that intention or that, um, well, that often, intuition. That's right. yeah. yeah. And in that case, that's when we will often end up and potentially end up in a bad way. We'll, we'll or we override apply some diet just because. Yes, exactly. I see. Right. So we end up when we override our body's intern or our natural intelligence. And intuition is something. I mean, we were talking about that before. Yeah. Like it, that you kind of have to train that intuition. I think a lot of us are. That's right. Uh, not educated, but kind of beaten out of it. Yeah, totally. <laughs> just to survive because yep. you can't. You sometimes feel powerless, so you just change yourself. Exactly. Sort of, yeah. That comes out of that one-size-fits-all model. Our society's understanding that success looks like this, health looks like this, and is caused by this. And And we're herd animals. Like, we're primates. We want to conform, too. So we... Yeah. Exactly. And so, you know, there are many ways in which that can serve us to help us kind of get to the bottom of certain things. And that's really what science, you know, and and studies and all of those things are really about. It's Mm. about hurting a bunch of people together and then trying to find the similarities amongst everybody. But I think where we're even starting to see that kind of go wrong is that we're understanding that, wait a minute, every single person in that group is going to maybe has a little bit of a different reaction or the reason that they react in that way may be relative to the home they live in or the way they grew up or yeah. things that we're not test that we're not really testing oh, no. yeah, for. They were, they're noticing now pharmaceuticals and gender. So does gender make a difference? Is does does being female have a quality and being male have a quality? Nope. Oh that's interesting. No, not at all. Yeah. Yeah. And so you really do get a cool. strip away yeah. so much. You get a strip away so much judgment, so much of the way we see things and really just see things in this really in this incredibly simplistic mm. way that helps you understand how to interact with okay. each other in the world. That was amazing. I mean, mm. we can go forever. But yeah. but you've often said that it all comes down to food, sleep, yes. and sex. And yes. I, I don't get that. So if you think a little bit about, again, going back to that like prime directive yes. of Ayurveda, it is about keeping the vehicle on the road. Sure. And so we, ha- we understand the importance of food, right? Food, in the Ayurvedic sense, food is what creates every single cell. Yep. It, it, and so that is a really important thing. But I even get sleep. I think it's sex. Yeah. <laughs> You're like, well, let's just get jump to the just chase. Let's just get to it. So yeah, so food, food and sleep. Okay, you, you, you get, get why it. those things are important. Yeah, but why, like, 
what if we're not having sex? Right. So, 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 so it must mean sex on a different level. It, it does. It means sex on all levels that we understand. So it means sex on the level of, of building and creating intimate relationships, okay. um, which is important. We talked, we've talked already about how all we want is to connect. We need to connect. It means, and when you take that further down the path, it means sex on the on the way that it impacts our ability as a species to continue. Mm-hmm. So you know, procreation. It means that, um, but then it also means sex in terms of us having this intimate relationship with ourselves right. and our energies and. Which is really about being sexy. I mean, you can yeah. think someone else is sexy, but if you think you're sexy, that's yeah. kind of the foundation of it. Exactly. So it's really that. <laughs> Not that that's required, but no, it really but it's, helps. It's important for us to understand that because yeah. we we put sex and sexuality in a in a box. Yeah. And so for many people, that box is no. That box is you know mm. stay away from there. Don't talk about that. Don't dive into that. Or frustratingly inaccessible. So the exactly. idea that. Um, it starts with you yeah. and that you can open to that, I don't know, sensuality and also, okay. Understanding it as a, as an, as a integral part of who you are and why you're here. Mm-hmm. That expression, you know, whether it's to actually have kids or not. So do those three things, food, sleep, and sex, if mm-hmm. I came to you and said, okay, I, I, let's do an Ayurveda session and yeah. organize my life. Can you solve all my problems? <laughs> would you use food, sleep, and sex as a framework? Well, yeah, I'd use them as tools. I, mm-hmm. I would l- use them as a way of seeing you in your life. Okay. So under, by understanding the foods that you're eating, that can tell me lots. If you're, su- if you're suffering in some way, and that makes sense. It does. If you're suffering or something, you're experiencing something, um, whether it's mental, physical, emotional, the diet that you're eating can have can tell me a lot about why you're experiencing life in the way that you are and then sleep we understand that we totally get how that impacts and in fact when i see people clients and stuff it so often i'm telling people people are coming to me with all kinds of issues um anxiety or weight issues or all sorts of things and i so often i'm saying let's get some sleep let's work on your sleep first and foremost yeah it's so fundamental totally fundamental and then obviously sex you know there's it was funny, I was reading something, and this was one of my teachers, and I was just reading his book, and it was reminding me of that again, of how we often have these experiences of pain or of discomfort, perhaps, in our bodies, mm. and we're constantly seeking some physical solution, like maybe I need to move in a different way or mm. whatever, but he talks about how often we need to look at our intimate relationships, the way that we're communicating with ourselves, the way that we're communicating with our, the people that we love, perhaps even the people that we work with, and how the body has its way of, of expressing that, that holding back okay, or you, putting you it somewhere. For me. Yeah, of putting it. it somewhere. Because it's so interesting how... I just think when you think of primates sitting mm. around, that they groom each other, that there's that sort of yeah. touching, that there's that intimacy... Yeah. And when you think of pain science, sometimes just being cared for or touched by someone else, feeling safe. Yeah. And so we express a lot of our safety in the physical way that we're around each other, whether we're having sex or not. It's really not it. It's that sort of tenderness or that just physical safety. And of course, that would make a huge difference. Huge. Huge. And I often see, I, I often say to people, look, 
you know, the ancients worked out something really, really fundamental. Stress kills. Yeah. That's it. Stress kills. And so I often see Ayurveda, all of the beautiful guidelines of, you know, how to live your life and what to think about as just a, a like a big book of how to avoid stress. Right. But first, it's important for us to understand what stress actually looks like. Because for us. We, yeah, for us, for That's each right. you individual. Depending on my qualities. Because we think of stress as that picture of somebody at their desk at yeah. eight o'clock at night, you know, and who has hypertension or yeah. whatever. And stress can look like guilt. Stress can look like doubt. Stress can look like eating something that's not so good for you, eating food that's maybe a little too heavy, and your body struggling to try to work through it. Yeah. It can look like so many different things. And so we have to learn to recognize what stress looks like for us and have the courage to take the steps that we need to um, to fix it. And perhaps even more so, sorry. No, <laughs> like, no, not at all. No, even more just... so. Because Ayurveda primarily is about prevention. I was going to say, is it yeah. about kind of, to, what are you, you're telling people to take stuff away or mm-hmm. telling people to add stuff? Well, it depends. I mean, when it comes to imbalance, imbalance almost always looks like an excess of something. Mm-hmm. looks like you just did too damn much. Yeah. But when we talk about, when we talk about prevention, prevention can, can mean add a little something, yeah. add a little more love into your life or add a little bit more of this, mm-hmm. you know, a make a smarter more. choice. Yeah. yeah. Make a smarter choice for yourself. Yeah. And yeah. that's what I think we really need to, to be educating ourselves about. And we talked about we talked about how because I am on a I'm on something of a crusade around yoga teachers understanding Ayurveda. This is exactly the next question, which yeah. was, so what for yoga teachers? But also, how does that look for you as a yoga teacher? Like, do you just leave your consulting desk and then kind of go teach yoga, or how does that filter through for you and inform how you teach yoga? Well, the juicy part of this to me is like, this is all what we just talked about, which I love. As a yoga teacher, what we think about when we think about group classes is a group of folks show up and we show them, we tell them what to do. We tell them how to do stuff. Exactly. But what we have to understand as people and as yoga teachers is that, firstly, is that you don't have a group of 30. You have... 30 individual, not even 30, exactly let's say right. 10. That seems a little bit more, more reasonable. Well, no, but you, you sometimes have, do have Yeah. That. You have 10 individual people, individual people. And so whatever it is that you're here to show them, you know, to guide them through, there are going to be some people in this class that that is not for. Mm-hmm. It just isn't. It's going gonna, it's gonna to mess with them in some way sure. that they may or may not understand. And so as yoga teachers... It means that we have a, and this is where it gets hard. It gets hard for me to say these things. Yeah, totally. (laughs) As yoga teachers, we have a responsibility to do just a few things. And the first, in my mind, is to connect. So what I mean by connect is I mean, and this is what you talked about, and that's why I love this, Mm. is understand who you're working with. Right. Who are these people in your room, in your space? And is that, that almost here? a little bit of sex? Like, are you developing a relationship of relationship. safety and of, not, I mean, absolutely. intimacy, but not trust? Yeah, yeah, absolutely. Mm. But it's, it's and you, and the beauty of Ayurveda is that you can, sometimes you can physically look at someone and say, right, I know that they're a vata. Sure. I, I can see that in their physicality. And then immediately you have a sense that you have a sense for their, some of their potential tendencies, you know, they're, they may tend to be somebody who wants to move around a lot. Yeah. They may tend to be somebody who gets distracted. 
they may tend to be somebody who may be walking in here with some anxiety yeah. or they may be somebody who's walking here with digestive issues, etc. You don't have all the answers, but knowing, having, being able to connect and now talk to your students, hear what they're dealing with perhaps, yeah. and using that knowledge that you have about their physicality or maybe they tell you their dosha, whatever well, it is. observing people's behaviors. Sure, exactly. And movements. And, yeah. That's going to be key. That's going to be really important. And in my mind, that should really shape the way that you communicate. It's hard. These, that's why I'm like, oh, you know. Yeah, but I, I think that, but that's the challenge we take on yeah. and that's why yoga teaching is not boring. Exactly. You know, if it were, if it were just, well, first of all, why even go to a live class, frankly? I mean, yeah. you know, it's the whole idea is that there's a mix of people in the room and I think it's the challenge we should all embrace yes and no one said it was going to be easy exactly and and honestly this is why I feel like there's such a difference between perhaps what we think yoga teaching is and what it's really meant to be because to me it's meant we often because of the way it's taught the way the way teachers are trained in most in most places we think it's about instructing instruction people to put their hands and feet somewhere yeah. But I, I believe that the responsibility is much, much greater. Oh, yeah, to education. Totally. And yeah. I think that if we're not ready for that as yoga teachers, like if that's just not what we signed on for, you know, mm-hmm. I just want to tell them what to put their hand and feet. I think we should be thinking about whether we should be there well, or to not. to a certain degree, just to give poor little yoga yeah. teachers. It, 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 in the beginning, you're just working it out. Yeah, totally. Where do people's hands? Totally. And what does that script sound like? Totally. The challenge is to evolve with it and with your students or with your community. But yeah. yeah. So we'll just, you're off the hook for the first few months of teaching and then then you grow. And I think, you know, we all have to start somewhere, but I think understanding that this is what the role actually is, Mm. because there are people who are just like, I'm going to be, I'm going to be telling people to put their hands and feet for the next 10 years. That's right. And they're churning out the same stuff. And we know those teachers in school too. Those teachers who whipped out the 1968 handout or whatever, you just think, whoa, you're not learning you're dead on the vine. That's yeah. it. Totally. And it's also you and your relationship with your students. Yeah. You and your doshas. Are, that's right. Yeah. That's hmm. exactly. That's it. You're, who you are is, is a relationship with this space that you're creating. Yeah. And that's in there. And so the other thing um, that I think yoga teachers should be thinking about is, or should be kind of willing to do, is to be aware. So I, I've kind of cobbled the first two together. Yeah. And when, when I mean, when I say be aware, I mean... Not only aware of what imbalances are showing up in your space, and you can you can sense some of this stuff, and you can also ask people yeah. about it. What imbalances are in the room? Also, start to get a feel for the energy in the room because people, if people are depressed, or if they're anxious, or if they're sad, and you're asking them a question, how you, how's everybody doing? Is there any injuries out there I should know about? You're not going to have necessarily have somebody put their hand no, up and go, I'm, I'm anxious as hell or I'm sad, you know. Yeah. You have to be you have to be willing to feel. You know, you have to be willing to kind of try to intuit, try to feel the energy in the room and it sounds all woo-woo and cray. No, no, it's about being present. But exactly, Which but is it's why you possible. Do your own practice. Absolutely. Exactly. It's yeah. totally possible. Yeah. And also be aware of the environment. So, what season are we? What yeah. what's happening outside? You know, is it a crazy, hot, dry, nasty day outside? Mm -hmm. Then think about what you're talking, you know, think about how you're talking to people and thinking, think about what you're instructing them to do. Mm -hmm. Are you making things worse by what you're, by, you know, what you're choosing to share? In a freezing cold hall. Exactly. By what you're choosing to share based on who these people can be. 
based on the environment that so they're in. prepare, but be prepared to adapt. Exactly. And also mm-hmm. prepare based on what you understand of what's happening, you know, what perhaps what season or what you know about the space, but also, mm-hmm. yes, be, be ready to adapt. The next thing I think yoga teachers, just kind of informed by Ayurveda, but should be willing to do is to inform their students. And this is Oh, I was melting when you said, like, we got to teach them kind of, we have to teach people to understand how things feel. There is no way as a single yoga teacher, you can be in a room of 20 people and create an individualized practice for each person. Of course not. It's just not possible. Um, But that doesn't mean we can't add value to people. And Ayurveda, in, in... in that single principle that we're individuals, that immediately says to me, you have that responsibility. No one can no one can really do it for you. You yeah. have that responsibility because everything that comes out has to speak to more people. Yeah. You have to actively participate you in do. your yoga practice. You yeah. do. And in your own life and in your own health and wellness mm-hmm. and in finding, figuring out what's going to work for you today and what isn't. That's right. And so as a teacher, what we can do for our students is we can inform them of what that process looks like. Mm. What does that self-inquiry involve? You know, does it mean feeling certain things or feeling for certain things or yeah. being aware of the environment, the air or the space in the room and how that's impacting you or being aware of how this pose of sitting or of standing or balancing of how that's actually affecting not just your physicality, not yeah. just hurting in my hip, but your your mental and emotional state, right. your feeling about yourself, all of these things, all of these things are are a part of who you are. They're all all nice. a part I'm of your wellness. Well. I know it's so ooh. well, but because it is exactly, it's an aspiration, and I yeah. think it's and I think it's so possible to do it totally. Yeah. And and the thing is, we aren't getting this anywhere else. This is the this is the opportunity of the yoga teacher. This is the opportunity of the student, the person who comes is the world isn't saying to you, hey, you know, did you think about, you know, did you think about the fact that it's cold outside and that's why you're depressed or shouting at people, you know, or why your digestion is sluggish? Um, And yet a yoga teacher or somebody who has this um, awareness and knowledge, and I often think of yoga teachers as like the front lines. Well, I hope so, yeah. And when you think about the fact that our goal is prevention, they're in a beautiful place with people who are receptive, who are tuning in, to be able to say, oh, hey, hmm. there's just a couple of other things that you might think about in, you know, in in the course right. of in doing this. In a non-preachy, non-whatever way, but yep. that's right. That's that overlay in teaching. Yeah. And in a way, you have to feel safe as a yoga teacher and kind of, um, that's where you do your own practice. Yeah. So you can be really present to Absolutely. what's happening and be able to tune into that. Yeah. And offer a little bit of that wider framework. Exactly. Mm. And so you're giving these people this lovely, you know, this information mm-hmm. that they can actually use to start to see the world differently, to start to maybe notice hot, cold, light, heavy. I talk about that sometimes in class. Right. Nice. Hot, it's cold, quite light, heavy. Simple and, yeah. Totally. Yeah. You and then to give an Ayurveda lecture, in other words. Exa- yeah, yeah. Exactly. And then lastly, yeah. empower. Yeah. So, you know, you've got to be willing to cut the cord you've got to be willing to say right take this and make it your own take these little these little tools that i'm that we're that we're talking about take all these little pieces of information and create something that's going to nourish you you have that permission totally own it whether you're here with me whether you're in your car whether you're having a conversation with your boss or your spouse whether you're on your mat at home own all of your understanding of who you are and what you need and how you can 
how you can get or create that mm. because that's what self-realization is about that is where the freedom comes from that stira and suka that's what it is that's what yeah. it's all about creating and there's just so many there's more you know there's more inputs that we hadn't really that we hadn't really thought about and i think that's kind of what in my mind that's kind of what ayurveda it's about providing nice. more than just here's your dosha. Here's your dosha. No, thank you because you that's know? oh, it's lovely because it crossed over with things I've heard before. But it was a it's a whole new way to look at it, and I love that idea of those yeah. qualities. So powerful. How do you apply that as a woman, mother, person? Just going to give me some examples of how you might do that with yourself, yeah, and what some decisions are that you might make. Well. I suppose first and foremost, just even just have the, having that understanding that having that understanding of the importance of living in a way that doesn't create more stress. Yeah. So that even just that alone huge. means yeah. maybe I maybe I you know tune in a little bit more before making a choice about what I'm going to eat or because we have patterns that we live in, and so I can go to the fridge on any given day and think, oh, you know, there's there's some crackers or there's some you know, this, that's the stuff I've always had. And yet think, wait, it's cold outside. And why don't you have something that's going to nourish you instead? Mm-hmm. Or even just the understanding that if you eat that, you're going to get this. You're going to feel like this. Even that alone is so enough. So how do you do that in a family? Because if you've got yeah. four little doshas hanging around, yeah. that's... And you and I'm not cooking four meals. Yeah. It's about... Um, it's kind of about being that yoga teacher yeah. in the home. Giving people some choice. It's informing them yeah. that this is what's happening. Mm. And it's also just informing them of all the things that impact how well that food's going to sit for them. What I teach people typically when it comes to food is that we we need to eat in a way that's seasonal, which means that we're... The seasons basically are... are Provide you with what you need. Yeah. So if you can keep things seasonal, it's it, it covers a lot of the bases. Right. And then it's about knowing yourself. It's about empowering and informing your family to know themselves and to know well, what's so going to work exactly. for them. That's right. How does this feel when you eat it? Exactly. You like that. Yeah. Yeah. And so eventually, yeah. you kind of develop a little language. You know, yeah. oh, this works for most of the family yeah. most of the time. Yeah. And you avoid stress in your life by choosing those things. Which we do as yoga teachers, yeah. I think, too. I think we throw out the stuff that was like whoa that, that was that too was much too curly or two people for... liked it but 10 people didn't totally. so and then there are things that actually suit most of the people most of the time mm. without dumbing it all down yep. but it lets people be themselves yes. within it and that's, exactly because there's enough comfort there for right. them to be able to and seek choice yeah, yeah for them to be able to go okay yeah. i'm okay i'm not just fighting for my life here now i can actually get a little nuancy and figure out how this is going to be even better for me and that's kind of what, you know, in terms of relating to the family, in terms of my own personal practice, having studied this and lived it for so long, I know pretty much what's going to mess with me and what isn't. I know what I need and I know when I'm choosing it and I know when I'm not choosing it. And so I do my best to have the courage to choose it and to step outside those patterns that we yeah. talk about yeah. and to choose it. And that, to me, that looks like routine. That looks like having quiet time just because my mind is constantly going and will fall in. If, it, if, if there's buzzing happening, I'm going to fall in with the buzzing and then mm. the buzzing is going to, you know, shake yeah. me to shake me to my core, and, you know. And so it's, it's knowing myself enough to make the right choices, but also knowing that choices for me mean routine and a bit of grounding. And it, they mean that I'm going to look and feel a certain way during certain times of the year. 
which is a stress relieving because often when we change, change is associated with stress. Right, but if you build it in... When you know, when you have an expectation... You feel a little bit more in control and a little bit more in in response. Exactly. When you can anticipate that winter, this is what I'm going to need. In the next few weeks, we're moving through a seasonal transition. In the next few weeks, things might feel a little bit uh, uneasy, Mm -hmm. a little bit unsure. So I know who I'm going to likely be or how it's going to impact me so I can make choices like I stay inside a little bit more just ground a little more or make sure I get out to the beach and yeah. do a little bit of walking make sure I'm staying warm etc cetera, etc cetera. I can yeah. start to make choices that are really healthy more healthy for me and so what it looks like changes um, as I change and as the seasons change but what doesn't change is that knowing and that orientation to knowing myself and using that knowing as a as a foundation or a basis mm-hmm. for loving myself like choosing so that, the right I mean things. I hear you're not just talking about physical health you're talking about no. mental health a absolutely lot. and is it desire do you understand mental health ayurvedically yes it's yes so that sort of anxious vata sort of stuff or yep. um you know angry pitta or whatever or depressed kapha is it all that simple it is in some ways it mm. is there are also we talk about sattva and rajas and tamas okay. and yeah. kind of looking out for those things and those things looking a certain way depending upon vata or pitta or kapha mm-hmm. and again all of it really is just about identifying what is moving you away from where you really want to be so you really just have to have a sense for what does balance look like for me right and then, and so much of mental health is physical health too. I mean, I yeah. think that gets overlooked. Yep. Uh, I, I know in totally. inpatient units, it's like, wait a second, what are we feeding? What's everybody eating here? Yep. What are we doing? Because if your body feels good, it, it does help. Yeah. It doesn't solve everything, but yep. it certainly is a, is a reasonable foundation. Absolutely. And then within those routines and stuff, then you can look at other stressors. Yeah. And yeah. vice versa. You know, yeah. being being of you know happy, healthy, well-adjusted mind gives you a far better chance of being physically well as well. And But we're often not looking there. We're no. looking in, you know, other places. And so, yeah. It, and in terms of uh, the other way that Ayurveda kind of shows up in my life is for the good. Yeah. Uh, and it's really only for the good. Sometimes it doesn't feel like it's like, I don't want to eat that. I want to eat this instead. <laughs> but uh, it's this coming back to this idea of individual, coming back to this idea of us having a true a true nature that expresses itself in certain ways. And when we can embrace that, when we can embrace that, you know, I've got a nature that expresses itself in certain situations in certain ways, mm. we can give the people around us the same space to be them. Oh, that's so, so that's so nice. I just got such a warm feeling when uh, you said that because it seemed like such an act of self-care yeah. and compassion. Mm-hmm. And when you train that curious, kind attention on yourself, you're much more able to do that for yourself. So it is that practice. And no one wants to do that. They're like, just fix me or, you know, how many pills or how many pieces of garlic or whatever. (laughs) Turmeric lattes. And so that's that deep compassion for yourself. Totally. a way to express it. Yeah. It's something that we have to extend to the world. You know, Mm. if we're we're taking it on that I'm 100% individual and I am who I am you know, related to everything around me, then you got to do that for your husband yeah. and you got to do that for your kids and you got to do that for, you know, the guy that just cut you off at the light, you know? Yeah. And to me, that's like, that's a huge gift because I think what we struggle most with in the world is 
wanting to be someone other than who we are, you know, wanting to be thinner or whatever, smarter, mm. richer, mm. more more driven, more creative, you know, whatever it is, and also wanting everything around us to be something other than what it is. Yeah, I was going to say taking personally what's going on around yeah. us when it's actually just a relationship. Yep, yeah. exactly. Yeah. So to me, those are kind of the fundamental, you know, kind of principles mm. and gifts of Ayurveda and and partly why I think that everyone, but especially people who have this beautiful influence like yoga teachers, really should understand how to use it more than they do and so what it's about. So how would you start? So if I wanted to, to find out, where where would you start? Would you send me to a book or would you teach me a course? Or I would probably say, because... I, well, I would first of all, I would say dive deeper, dive deeper into Ayurveda. The, mm. the understanding, all of what I'm talking about, has has come from my own curiosity yeah. and study yeah. and application. Yeah, so um, like any other subject, you want to yeah. learn anatomy, you want to learn, so just start reading exactly. and delving a little bit. Exactly, yeah. and start processing and start digesting this mm. stuff. Mm. Um, if possible, find a great course. You mm. know, um, I'm definitely I'm working on something, <laughs> yeah, but also if possible, find a great right. course with, that has this stuff oriented in a way that makes sense for you, or even a practitioner who can help you apply it with yourself so you get the way of the world exactly this stuff comes from how we live and it's meant to apply to how we live it's not meant to be this cerebral thinking about it's not meant to just be information it's meant to be guidance for living Mm. and a lot of times people can get caught up in the 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 information or the this and the that and And like anything else we want to stick it on other people rather than apply it ourselves exactly exactly i know what to do for you exactly Start with you. Start with yourself. So, yeah. Wow. So we did both end up there with individuality, didn't we? Totally, which I love. It's really, really about support and about the opportunity to learn who you are. Yep. Yeah. Yeah, that's the power. It is That is our power. And that, I think, is, I guess, the beauty of yoga, but beauty of Ayurveda is that it's such a complex system, and it's built in for that. Yeah. Like, that that's in there. That's why I always marvel at the miracle of it because it it can take all of that. It's still a system, still a framework, but mm. it can take that tremendous individuality into into being yeah. and apply it. Is there anything I missed? I don't think so. Like I think that's probably enough. We'll probably yeah. have more conversations and now with that understanding of how I think about it. You'll see, you'll see it flowing through the way that I interact yeah. with the world and, and the way that I answer kind of questions apply and what stuff. You said and yeah. look at those qualities and then see how, in some of those decisions mm. that I make, and even in my student, just just think of it like that because yeah. that's a really lovely framework to think of how those qualities meet mm. and what is stressful or easing if we can think of it like that. Yeah. Ooh, thank you. You are welcome. Thank so you. It's, it's so been fun a joy. To delve in and I know. Just learn so much yeah well i hope the people listening have learned so much yeah me too and and thank you you're welcome thank you hello again i hope that you enjoyed that conversation because maria and i could have gone on and on and on and i'm also hoping that you got some goodies out of that to chew on and to start applying in your life or if nothing else that your curiosity for learning more about ayurveda has been piqued 
You know, I mentioned in passing that I'm putting together an Ayurveda course for yoga teachers. And if you're interested in that, you can email me at info at blissbodyandsoul.com for more details. Or you can check out my website for more Ayurvedic information and resources for yoga teachers. And for those who are just looking to incorporate some of the goodness of Ayurveda into their everyday lives. That's at blissbodyandsoul.com. So I recently turned 50. And I've got women in my yoga classes that are of similar age. Women who, like me, have always had a pretty strong yoga practice, but are starting to feel the toll that it takes on their bodies. And they're wondering what the future of their yoga practice actually looks like. Well, in our next podcast is a fabulous conversation that Maria and I had about how to evolve your practice as you age. You know, so many people think that There's this massive divide between the yoga that younger folks do and yoga for older bodies. But the truth, as we discovered in our conversation, is more profound and empowering and liberating. And so we hope that you're going to tune back in for that one. Until then, namaste. Namaste.